Welcome one, welcome all to the M60 Podcast. I am your host, John Waltz, recording in beautiful Franklin, Tennessee, and joining me this episode, episode number 14 of the M60 Podcast. I am really excited and super excited to have have this man on, uh, not only because of the message in his new book, which is entitled Chaos Can't. We'll talk about that in the second segment, but uh, I'm a huge fan of the ministry that he is a part of. Mr. Alan Arnold is an author, speaker, and executive producer of content for Wild at Heart Ministries based out of Colorado Springs, Colorado. He is the author of The Story of With and his very recent book released within the last 30 days, Alan, is that right? That's correct. Yes. uh, Chaos Can't Overcome What Comes Against You in This Shaken World. So, Alan, welcome to the M60 podcast. I am, as we, as as I was saying before, we went on the went on the on the air or started recording here. I am so thrilled and so happy to have you on the podcast. I, I really do appreciate you joining me today. Thanks, John. I am looking forward to the topics we're going to be talking about, and uh, love the concept of your podcast, the theme of it, and why you're doing what you're doing. So, this will be fun. Well, thank you, thank you. So. Well, uh, first few questions, we're going to talk about the masculine journey, talk about uh, who you are as a man and, and the overall masculine t- topics about what it means to be a man in the world today. And then uh, in our second segment, we're going to dive into your book and uh, talk a little bit about that. And the timing of the uh, book coming out is, is really, uh, really poignant and really relevant just because as, as I say in one of our questions, the, uh, one of the words that we can use to describe this past year has been chaotic. So we'll, uh, we'll definitely get into that. But uh, first question that uh, I lead off every guest on the M60 podcast is this. In, in your experience and in your opinion, what does it mean to be a man in the 21st century in the Western world today? So I love this question. And I have no idea how the other uh, guests have answered it, but I'll tell you this. To me, what it means to be a man in the 21st century in the Western world is the exact same thing that it's meant to be a man since God created man. And so I think our culture, and in the and particularly in the moment we live, there's this sense that somehow what it means to be a man changes over time and can be shaped by the political correctness of the moment or of what's popular or um, you know how, how media defines maybe what a man should be or universities or religion. But to me, John, a man is simply the best answer is what did God mean when he made man? What did he mean for man to be? And that's what it means to be a man, whether we're in the fourth century, the 12th century, or the 25th century, you know? And to me, what that means is to be a reflection 
of the qualities that we see in Jesus. And so that's, to me, the defining kind of way we can look at what does it mean to be a man? Well, it means to have a real strength. It means to uh, have a trueness to us. It means to, to really see things in a way that we can bring our strength and that we can approach life with an awakened heart. And so to me, that masculinity, that sense for, you know, as John Eldridge defines it, like an adventure to live and a battle to fight and a beauty to love, like those are key attributes in our DNA that were put there by God. And we see those mirrored really well, perfectly in the life of Christ while he was on earth. But what, but what I think it means is every day am I walking in that trueness? And so, you know, if we tether what it means to be a man to the world standards, it's always changing. Um, sometimes it's more popular for men to be more passive and sometimes more aggressive and sometimes to take the lead and sometimes not to, and sometimes this and that. And I think to just wipe all that off the table and say, I'm not taking my cues from the world. I'm taking them from God. And then we can be, whether we're popular or not because of that, we're living in a true way as we were created to live. So that's, I'm happy to, if that creates more questions, like um, go from there. But I, I think that's important for me to define that way and the listener to hear, because otherwise it's an ever-changing target. True, true. Yeah, if you... I talked about this a little bit in my first episode, but the, uh, and John Eldridge talks about this too, is that there is a, there is a question that's kind of embedded in every man's soul. Um, and it's, do I have what it takes? Can I come through? And if you take that question to the world, if you go by the world standards of that, that the answer is always going to be a resounding no. Um, so my question kind of branching off of, of your answer is what, um, how, how do you see Jesus as a man? Uh, because there, even with even with modern day Christianity, the, uh, there's so many different perceptions of Jesus as to as to who he is. So how would you how would you describe Jesus as a man? Well, you know, Jesus uh, was masculine in every sense of the way. And so he was he worked with his hands. Uh, we know he was a carpenter. And so he was clearly creating and, and building things. He um, was a man who would walk into danger and trouble and always bring a strength, but not uh, never wanted people to, you know, he, he wasn't looking for his validation in people. He was actually bringing a strength that was what they needed, but he wasn't kind of hesitant to see if they would approve of that or not. And so wherever Jesus went, to me, I saw this very kind, strong, uh, playful at times, um, patient. And yet he had like a, you know, he set his face like Flint on his mission. And he was not going to be deterred from his mission, which was defined in his own words. He went back to Isaiah 61. Mm -hmm. So his yeah. mission wasn't to make us better behaved people, more moral people, 
uh, wasn't to tell us to get our act together. Isaiah 61, when he was asked, why are you here? He defines his mission is from that passage. And it says basically that he's come to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. So he's come to heal our fractured, wounded, shut down hearts, and he's come for our freedom. And so, you know, uh, again, as John Eldridge says, it's a, it's a lot more Braveheart than Mr. Rogers, Perfect. you know? Yeah. Um, and it's, and so it's, it's this beautiful, I think, strength that, that Jesus mirrored here on earth and, you know, that Jesus has been, um, it, we know his time on earth was limited to so many years as a man, you know, born as a baby, grew up as a man, sacrificed himself, came again, rose again, but he's been a part of the Trinity forever. He has no beginning. And so his personality, his realness and trueness uh, was, we read in John 1, 1, everything that's anything was created in and through him in, in our universe. And so everything was created through him and in him. And so his presence goes well beyond that of when he was here on earth, but it's, it's actually part of the DNA of how this universe was created and why it is like it is. And so we get to see parts of Jesus personality in the oceans and in, you know, um, the wildness of life and in um, the stars and in the heavens. And like, it's kind of mind blowing because we think of, well, what are the stories from the gospels? But, the story of Jesus is not just the stories in the gospels. The story of him is the story that comes before creation began and continues throughout eternity. So I, you know, I can't imagine a better role model. And, and I tell my friends this a lot, but if you want to be a better husband, which is a key part of being a man for most men, if you want to be a better husband, we'll learn how to be a son of God. And if you want to be a better father, learn how to be a better son. And so sonship is an initiation process for men. And when I say son, I don't mean a young son necessarily. I mean, we are all sons, even if we're 90 years old, we're a son of God. And, and so the journey of sonship is, as, I think, actually a journey into masculinity. The journey of sonship is a journey into becoming the man that God made us to be. And we get to see that reflected in Jesus uh, and his personality, but we also get to see how God fathers us. And when we start to learn that, John, we then do become better husbands, better fathers, better sons to our earthly parents, uh, better leaders. You know, and so it, it's it's a beautiful journey that we get invited into as long as we let God set the definition of what manhood is. Amen. Yeah, as as we like to say here in the South, that'll that'll preach. That'll preach. Um, yeah, and, and kind of going back to what we were talking about in the pre in the question before, you know, Jesus had and you you said it. Jesus had his validation through through God the Father. So he was much more, I mean, he was very comfortable in his mission and what he was trying to accomplish on, on earth because he didn't need the approval of the religious leaders or, or the Roman government or whoever 
in in his present time because he so exactly what you were saying if we can find our validation through through god and 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 that sonship then then we do become better men indeed well and look at um yeah right and look at how jesus handled power you know like a lot of men their whole life is defined by their search for power by their um lust for power by their you know fascination with it and you've got jesus had legions of angels at his disposal he created everything around him he created the earth you know you know it's no surprise that he could move mountains because he created the mountains right, right. and so he has ultimate power and yet he never was on a power trip he never tried to trump somebody by simply saying, I could snap my fingers and you would disintegrate. You know, like he always honored the situation and the person. He had a lot of humility, far more humility than most men have. And most men don't have one millionth of the power that Jesus had. And yet Jesus, with all that power, ultimate power, was one of the most humble beings ever. And so... You know, it just, um, it's kind of mind-blowing when we talk about this and when we really start thinking about, wow, if that's masculinity, how far off are we on most days from what we're invited into? Yeah, yeah. So kind of switching gears a little bit here, I, I want to talk to you about your own journey as a man and your, your masculine journey, one of the phrases that you had used and one of the phrases that, that John Eldridge and, and the folks at Wild at Heart like to use is uh, God initiating us and calling us into an adventure and, and growing. So talk about in your own journey, in your own life, some of the ways that God has, has initiated you and called you into that adventure and, and developed you into the man that you are today. Yeah, well, great question. God, um, I don't think there was ever a time I didn't believe in God uh, in my life. I grew up in a family that went to church. I um, always was kind of drawn to this, this sense of, wow, God is like this. I can't fathom fully what who he is, but I'm drawn to him in, in so many ways. But then, John, um, I would say that it was really not until after college that I, my, I had a real hunger to know him intimately. And, and that was the beginning of what I, I was baptized when I was 12. I believed in God. I believed in Jesus. I was a Christian. But I didn't really um, understand what did it mean to not just profess my belief, but to live intimately with him. And, and that at the end of college, right out of college, God started really moving in my life in some unexpected wild ways. And he was wooing me to him. And I still, like I started, I took a few steps. I was intrigued. I started reading more of C.S. Lewis. Uh, I started Philip Yancey, a lot of, a lot of both, you know, men who had already passed away and, and current writers, um, about the Christian faith and literature on it and story. 
and God really started wooing me to him through story, um, through, you know, whether it was the Chronicles of Narnia or whether it was C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy or Stephen Lawhead is an author that uh, some people aren't familiar with, but um, he's written so many phenomenal novels and trilogies that are um, what I would call um, they're not they're they're fantasy like, um, but they're really earthy novels that that are grounded in uh, who we are as men, and and uh, and yet they take place in fantastical settings. And um, he doesn't write Christian fiction; he writes general fiction. But he's a Christian, and you can sense that in everything he writes. And so God started wooing me through all of these stories and through things he was just doing it in my life in unexpected ways and ultimately that got me into christian publishing and i ultimately became a publisher and was publishing i started their fiction division because story meant so much to me mm-hmm. and one of the authors i ended up working with was stephen lawhead wow. the very author's who turned my life around in terms of seeing God in new ways. Then I became his publisher and actually got to republish that series among some new books, but I got to republish the series that rocked my world. And we have a Q and a in the back with the two of us. And I'm like, only God could orchestrate that kind of full circle. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and so the next big step in my journey was about eight years ago when I was in my 40s um, and God invited me through Ransomed Heart, Wild at Heart now, to come to Colorado. I used to live in Franklin. And so I- Oh, Franklin, in- Tennessee? That's right. right yeah. Here? Wow. Okay. Uh, I worked with Thomas Nelson and we raised our family in Franklin, Tennessee, had, had our kids in Franklin, Tennessee. and Okay. Um, so love where you are. But um, got this call one day when I was fiction publisher and I had been in the publishing industry about 20 years and John Eldridge said, Hey, I'd like you to come join our team. I'd been going to the boot camps and, mm-hmm. and loved it and read his books. And I said, you know, thank you, but Hey, I'm, I'm great. I love my life here in Franklin and love being a fiction publisher. So I'm going to decline the invitation to join the team, but thank you. And he said, well, Hey, before you hang up, just one thing uh, I want to tell you, God's already told us you are coming. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and it really was, you know, disruptive. Um, but he said, why don't you pray and ask God, talk to God, ask him what he's saying, and then get back to me. And he was definitely, God was definitely inviting us here. And so about eight years ago, we started the journey of me leaving publishing and going into ministry. And, you know, John, that, um, wow. Like that was the next big phase of my faith walk, my Christian life, because that was the first time I started to understand what it meant to be a son of God. So all of my life up to that point, it was, you know, he's a young boy and young teenager and man, it was about belief. I believe these things. And then in my twenties and thirties, I started to sense there was way more that God was inviting us into far more fantastical, far more intimate, far more mystical in terms of how we would define it in that, in that it's not just about sitting in a church pew and it's not just about reading a scripture verse. It's about relationship. 
Hmm. And the next stage was when I moved out here about that time, God had me on a massive journey of sonship and I had never known God as wild as this may seem as a father in the sense of a father son relationship. I knew his title as father. Mm-hmm. I knew the yeah. scriptures that talked about him as father, but I didn't know him as a son doing life with God as father. And so that's been my journey for the last eight years. And it has been the most life-changing, jaw-dropping, awesome experience because now every day I have this expectancy of how God will show up in my life, how he will answer the needs, how he will reveal himself and this adventure that he's invited me into. And so um, as I'm talking to you about it, you know, it gives me kind of goosebumps because it's, it's, it's like I never didn't believe he was there, but at first I knew facts about him. And then in my 20s and 30s, it kind of shifted to, well, I, I do want relationship with him, and, but I don't really know what that means, but I'm so drawn to God in deeper ways. And then in my 40s and now early 50s, it's, it's been so much about deep intimacy as a son. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really, really great. Uh, really great stuff there, Alan. I, uh, we, I, I think in the church today, we're just so focused on people knowing, knowing God's there and, and knowing who Jesus is, but we don't really explore that, that intimacy that, that you were talking about. And so that's, I feel like that's something that's really missing in a lot of uh, a lot of church experiences and a lot of Christian experiences that it's we, we just don't talk enough about that intimacy. So thank you for for bringing that up and, and for talking about that in your your own faith journey. Um, you you're a part of uh, Wild at Heart, and there are so many great men and women that are part of that ministry and. I just want to talk to you, talk to you a little bit about your experience with that and, and how important it is to be, you know, not necessarily as a career, but having people like that in your life that, that know what it means to be a son or a daughter of, of God and to, to be on that journey to becoming fully alive in God and fully alive in Christ. Because as, as John has stated and John Eldridge has stated in some in his books, the world, the world needs people that are fully alive. And so what, how, how has that enhanced your life being part of a, a group like that? Well, it's been, it's been, uh, gosh, such a awesome journey because these are men and women and there's only about 12, 13, 14 people that work full-time at Wild at Heart. So this is not a mega ministry. This, you know, we, I think we have a large footprint in the world, but we don't, on by design have a large staff and so uh somebody there has described it as it's like a nuclear silo built underneath a lemonade stand like it (laughs) you know we don't even have the name of our ministry on our building so you drive by it and you you wouldn't even it just there's nothing that would make you you know go wow that must be wild at heart it's it's just a building and we don't even have our name on the front because our goal isn't to promote ourselves. 
And, and what it's like to be with those men and women is it's just a very authentic, genuine way that I think we have found to try to do life that feels like it is how the disciples uh, did. And I'm not, when I say this, we don't all have dinner together. We don't all go on vacations together. Um, so it's not, you know, we don't all go to the same church. We don't even know what churches some of us go to. Like we don't, that's not even what we really talk about with each other is, um, things like that. But what we talk about is getting to know God in a deeper way and knowing Christ, uh, and what union with Jesus is like. And this pursuit of how do we walk intimately with God? How do we become sons and daughters of God? And so the, the best part to me is there's just an authenticity. Nobody's posing. Nobody's trying to act like they have it all together. There's a humility because the humility comes into uh, what are we going to do next, whether it's a project or a personal decision or, you know, something with an event we're doing or a podcast. And rather than somebody try to be the answer man or be the quickest with an answer, over time, you just realize the answer you're going to get most of the time is, I don't know, let's ask God. And so there's no formula, there's no pressure to come through. And, and I just find that just beautiful because it seems like that's the way God invites men and women in scripture to follow him. There's no formula. It's not about ego. It's not about popularity, but it is about trying to go deeper and deeper and deeper with God. And so that's what it feels like to me. It's a very laid back environment. Um, a lot of laughter in the hallways, people bring their dogs to work. Um, you know, I, I left a business where I was wearing slacks and, and button down shirts. And, and, uh, now if I ever put on the clothes I used to wear every day of my life, my kids will be like, dad, are you going to a wedding or a funeral? <laughs> <laughs> Cause they're so used to seeing me in t-shirts and shorts and flip-flops. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so anyway, that's a little bit of a, I guess, description of what it's like to, to work with them and live in that world. Great. Great. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for giving us a little bit of, uh, inside baseball there on that. I, uh, uh, I, I'd always kind of, kind of wondered about it and, and I, I know just having been a, been a follower and, and been a, of wild at heart for, for, for so long, kind of a little bit about what the culture's like there, but, uh, but yeah, I just wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit about your experience there. So, That'll wrap up our first segment of questions here. He is Mr. Alan Arnold, the author of Chaos Can't Overcome What Comes Against You in the Shaken World. And in our next segment, we're going to dive into some uh, more book-specific questions about how you can overcome chaos in this world and what the definition of chaos is and all that and a little bit more. So stick with us. This is the M60 Podcast. So we're getting into the fall and the winter months here in North America. And if you're like me and you love to go out on the golf course and make new friends and strengthen your bond with existing friends, that's getting harder and harder to do with the weather coming at a premium and with daylight also coming at a premium. 
So what can we do to grow ourselves in the game of golf? Well, we can be like everybody else. We can watch certain YouTube channels and instructional videos and act like we're getting good information. We can follow certain accounts on Instagram that really don't do anything to apply to us. We can peruse Golf Galaxy till the cows come home. Or what you can do is you can become a student of the game of golf. One of the best publications to help you do that is my friend Scott Hassey's book that's entitled The Champion's Playbook, Thinking Your Way to Lower Scores. In this book, Scott's going to run you through seven courses about how you can enhance your course strategy, everything from what you believe, understanding the architect, developing your plan, mind control, and developing your instincts, and a whole lot more. Scott also produces a podcast here in Franklin, Tennessee called The Champion's Playbook Podcast. I'll have links for both of those in the show notes below. So click on that link in the show notes, or you can come on down to Franklin Bridge Golf Club if you're here in Franklin, Tennessee, and pick up a copy of Scott's book, The Champion's Playbook, Thinking Your Way to Lower Scores. Also check out his podcast, The Champion's Playbook Podcast, featuring episode 13's guest, Jack Beard. Links for the podcast and his book are in the show notes. We are trucking right along here in Season 2 of the M60 Podcast. Got some great guests coming up for you and some really exciting stuff coming down the pike. But, you know, I can't do this without your support. So, if you would like to contribute to the creation of this show, you can do a couple things. I've got a PayPal and Patreon link in my link tree in the show notes below. And on that Patreon site, I've actually got some pretty good bonus material that I'm really excited about. I've almost got an entire bonus episode with Scott Hassey there. I've got some lighter-hearted stuff with Mike, McDow- Mike McDowell and Dylan Valenzuela with Stephen Headley and Kevin Beasley and Stephanie Malloy all contributed to bonus content on the program. So thanks and hats off to them. If you want to sponsor the show and you're in a position to do that, just email me, m60podcast at gmail.com. Put sponsorship in the subject line. Quick reminder to like this episode, share this podcast, and leave a five-star review. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the M60 Podcast. I am your host, John Waltz, recording in Franklin, Tennessee, and joining me from Colorado Springs, Colorado, Mr. Alan Arnold. He is the author of Chaos Can't, Overcome What Comes Against You in This Shaken World. And Alan, in this segment, we're going to get into some questions about the book and talk to. we're going to talk to you a little bit about, uh, about chaos. And so, you have recently we it's i actually when i got up this morning i kind of realized oh we're recording a podcast about chaos here on friday the 13th that's uh <laughs> that's got to be another god thing right there huh yeah that's i didn't think about that you're right man but uh let, let's talk about the um uh the genesis of the book um kind of what uh, what brought it on? What what made you? What led you to uh, to write the book here? Um, I mean, one of the the descriptors that people will use for many many decades to come to describe this past year is is chaotic, uh, among other 
colorful adjectives that, <laughs> that we won't bring up. But, uh, you know, here, here we are in uh, the aftermath of, of just such a strange political, uh, political season and everything else that's gone on in the world today. So there's definitely a need for, for people to, to deal with chaos, but just talk about, um, when this, uh, when you were led by God to write this book and, and just kind of take it from there. Well, I would say this 2020 probably for everybody in, in different ways has been just a storm. It's been chaotic. There's been disruption like uh, never before in most people's lives with schools, you know, the way schools have been impacted, businesses, loss of jobs, virus, political upheaval, social unrest. Um, it, it just, and it just seems like it continues to kind of spiral in different ways uh, and rarely up, but mostly down. And so, John, I found myself just asking the question, what's really going on here? Because I feel like chaos is caused, it's causing me to lose heart, the chaos around me. It's causing me to shut down on my gifting or talent, creativity. Um, it's causing me to lose hope. And I know these things that are happening are not the way God wants me to live. So what do I do? Like that was the genesis of the book is, is things are being stolen through chaos. And I do not want that to happen anymore. And so I wrote Chaos Can't really like uh, a lot of listeners will understand what I mean by this, but as a hero's journey. And I used to be a fiction publisher and a hero's journey is basically a term for how all great stories is the beats of all great stories, whether it's Star Wars or The Hunger Games or Lord of the Rings or diehard movies, like you name it, most stories and movies and novels follow a hero's journey. And it always starts with a person stepping out into the unknown because they are looking for some change. They're looking for something more. And so it begins with them stepping into the unknown. And so to me, this book was a little bit of a hero's journey. I'm not saying I was the hero. I'm saying, but I was the guy saying, going, this has got to change because I'm not going to let chaos take me out. But before I can understand how to counter it, I have to understand what it is, what's really going on. So that's what started the book. And what I was observing was chaos comes against each of us in uniquely personal ways. And for me, that was a big aha moment. In other words, chaos isn't this generic thing that comes against us all in the exact same way and affects us all in the same way. So what would get you spun up, John, and, and kind of irritated and, and off balance wouldn't necessarily be that for me or for the listener. And so how does chaos know how to take each of us out in such a customized way? So as I started this journey, I just said, God, I need your help, but I am determined to come out on the other side of the journey, knowing how to overcome chaos. And 
I need your help on how to do that. And that's what was the genesis of the book. Uh, and it's the journey I take readers on. When, when readers step into it, my hope is they'll feel like they're on a journey as well. And the journey is one of discovery. What's going on? We really have to know that first, kind of what is going on? And then how do we respond? And so the book lays that out. And one of the things uh, that I found interesting was I came up with a new definition of chaos. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. And the new definition, uh, because in the dictionary, the definition was a, kind of a vanilla, plain vanilla definition. It was chaos is a state of utter confusion or disorder. And, you know, I mean, to me, that's like, well, great. I feel that way every Monday morning. I felt that way all through high school math. Like, the chaos has to be more than that. And so the definition I came up with is chaos is a destructive fear-based force that prevents us from fully living. And the ways it comes against us large and small are often intensely personal strikes meant to leave us empty. Well, now that's a much, I feel like truer, broader definition of the kind of chaos I face every day and, and so my question is, what's going on? Why is that happening? And in the book, I take readers into a journey that, that actually looks at how I believe chaos began long before the fall in the garden, long before the creation of our world. I think it began even before the battle in heaven, which a lot of readers or listeners will know about. Um, in Revelation, where it talks about before the world was created, there was an angelic rebellion, a created group of angels, because angels are created, beings, mm -hmm. rebelled against God, the creator, and chaos erupted in heaven. And so chaos even existed then. And so, you know, it's kind of like Alice in Wonderland. You keep going down the rabbit hole more and more and more and more. Well, it was here. Well, it was here. Well, but it was already here. And where we land is, best I can tell, I believe chaos began in the heart of Lucifer. Scripture tells us he was created without any sin, without any guile. He, there was no, no guile found in him, but then he let envy in his heart. And I believe when he, at some point, back before the world began, when he decided, I don't like the story I'm in. I think I can take over and take out the creator, take out God. And he convinces a third of the angels that that's a good idea, which is kind of wild. Because you think all these angelic beings could see God face to face. They were right there. And they're going to side with a fellow created being over their creator and think they have a chance at winning, but they did think that, and they didn't, they got defeated. They got cast out of heaven, but I believe now we see with chaos, Satan using it, Lucifer, Satan using it as a weapon against us. He became a chaotic being. He used it to create chaos in heaven. He, used it to get a third of the angels to side with him. In the garden, 
in paradise. He uses chaos. He comes in as a serpent, as a chaotic being that causes humanity to fall. And he uses chaos against us today. And, and so now we go, okay, well, chaos isn't just this description of a, of a cluttered, busy, disruptive, noisy life. Chaos is a demonic force wielded by our enemy against us in unique ways to take us out. It's a lot more structured from what it sounds like you're, you're saying. It sounds like it's a lot more structured than, than what we believe is just uh, the randomness of the world. It seems a lot more structured and systematic. Exactly. And, and, and why is that you know, important? Well, it's important because if we just think of that as an interesting fact and move on, or, wow, that was kind of some cool biblical information, we miss the fact that we can't overcome chaos if we don't understand what it is. You can't counter something very well if you don't understand it. You won't find the cure if you don't understand it. And so now we look at the fingerprints of chaos in your life and my life and other people's lives, and we go, wow, it's kind of about to kill, still, and destroy which is exactly how John 10, 10 sounds vaguely familiar yeah. right, describes the enemy. And yet in that same John 10, 10 passage, we hear, but I have come, Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. So there's this battle between chaos and between life to the full. And, and now that we know what's going on, I think we can start to approach chaos in a whole new way. And I can go into that with you if you want. Um, but that's, you know, that's the, I wanted to lay that out for the listener because if you don't know what chaos is, then it just feels like, man, life is crazy. When you do know what the enemy's up to, then you start to understand how do I move against chaos? And more importantly, what's the blueprint God's given us to move against chaos? Yeah. Because if I can do that, then I no longer have to be chaotic. Well, and it kind of circles back into something that I learned from, again, we keep bringing up John Eldridge because, you know, he's, he, he runs wild at heart, but um, something that I learned from him in, in one of his books is that every story has a villain because ours does. And chaos is the, the manifestation of how the villain of our story is, is attacking us. Um, so what makes chaos just so tailor-made for everyone? What, what, what is it just that just seems so, makes it seem so personal? What makes it seem personal, I think, is the fact that it is personal. And the reason it's personal is because the enemy knows how to take each of us out based on who we are, based on our strengths, based on our scars of our story, our past based on our wounding, based on our doubts, fears. And so, you know, back to that definition, chaos is a fear-based force. So the enemy will play to our fears, I think, in really unique ways. And the goal of the enemy is, I think, threefold. One, it's to make us into chaotic beings. And if the enemy can use external chaos and we let it in, and that's a choice. We don't have to let chaos in. And in the book, I go into how not to let chaos in. But we have to realize 
chaos is an external force coming at us. We choose whether to let it into our hearts or not. If we do let it in, we become chaotic. And it's hard to move against something that you're becoming more like. So it's hard to defeat chaos if you're becoming chaotic in the process. And so I think, John, the first thing is we realize the enemy is coming against us to make us more chaotic, to take us out. The enemy knows if he can shut us down or spin us up enough to where we're no good for our family, we lose our relationship with God, we don't really bring a strength to the world, then it's like a, you know, it's like a football player on the bench that never gets in the game. And that player's not going to make any difference in the game if he takes himself out and says, man, I, I'm just, you know, I'm just feeling kind of chaotic. I'm just going to sit this one out. Well, he's not going to make an influence in the game. The enemy has won before he's even entered the game. And so that's one of the reasons I think it feels personal is because the enemy is trying to personally take us out. It's just like temptation. Temptation for one man is not temptation for another, but the enemy somehow knows exactly the right temptation to dangle in front of each of us. Mm -hmm. And I think with chaos, you can look at it in the same way. And so the other reason I believe is because he knows our gifting and our dreams and our passion are gateways to intimacy with God. And if he can cut us off at the knees by making us more chaotic, where we set those dreams aside, where we pull back, where we get offended or taken out uh, or shut down our relationship with God, he's one as well. And so that's why it's important to go, ah, I see what's happening. I see the larger picture and I'm not going to take the bait. I'm not going to fall for it. I'm not going to let chaos in. That's the, the first thing is to understand what's really going on. The second thing is not to let it in. And then the third big movement is kind of, and it's a progression, is not only do we not let chaos in, when we don't, we let out what the spirit has done within us. So in other words, the fruit of the spirit, the creativity God's given us, the, the peace, the calm, the creativity, now we release that and we actually change the chaos in our world in our environments, in our realm of authority, into beauty, life, and order. So it starts as defensive. We just don't let it in. But it moves to an offensive game of, right, we're not going to let it in. And we're actually going to change the chaos around us into beauty, life, and order. And when we start practicing that, not only, I think, do we have a better impact on the world, because we're bringing hope and life where people need desperately hope in life. But in our family, you know, we're a source of calm as a dad, as a husband, as a leader, we walk into a redder. We bring calm where there was chaos. And so it's a really cool invitation that's before us. If we understand what the story is and how to step into it. Great. Yeah. So, um, Without revealing too much of of what's in the book, what are uh, just a few ways that uh, that we can speak speak order into our lives over over that chaos and and just a couple maybe tidbits about how the listener could overcome some of the chaos that's in their world today? Yeah, great question, John. I so the first thing is 
if I, let's say you were in your car driving, you know, you had a 30 minute drive to work and you start to feel chaotic and fearful and, and, and those kind of, kind of that's the atmosphere you're feeling around you. Well, and national first, traffic can, can do that very easily. <laughs> I, yeah, I know it's, and it seems like it's uh, doubling every week. Um, but what you get, so what I would do is I would first say, okay, I mean, I'm just saying whether you say this out loud, if you're by yourself or whether you're thinking it, it's okay. I know this chaos is not me. It's an external force. And I know it's from the enemy, whether he spun up another individual to be chaotic toward me, or it's just chaos in the city, or it's chaos in my finances. I know what's going on. So I'm not going to take the bait. I'm not letting it in. That's the very basic first thing to do is understand what it is and not let it in. After that, then what I think is a really powerful thing to say is, okay, God, how are we going to counter the chaos in my realm of authority today? And this, this is something when I first understood this, it was mind blowing to me. And that is the very first lesson God teaches us in all of scripture. If you're reading the Bible, you know, progressively Genesis forward, the very first lesson he teaches us is how to overcome chaos. And I think like, I never realized that. I don't think most people have, but Genesis one, one is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth that establishes God as creator. So in the beginning, we meet God or get to know God. We're going to get to know him as creator. Genesis 1, 3, that's when he says, let there be light. But Genesis 1, 2 is this wild, mysterious verse where it talks about God's spirit hovering over the empty darkness, brooding, hovering. And most of us don't know what to do with that passage, but most scholars say whatever else is happening, God's spirit is entering into the empty void and he is bringing beauty, life, and order. It's the prelude to creation. And so the, the reason I call that the first lesson in Genesis 1-2 is the very first thing God shows us how to do, he demonstrates is, watch me enter into chaos and then transform it into beauty, life, and order and hope. And he does that through creating oceans and, and galaxies and, you know, planets and rivers and deserts and mountains and beasts of the air and beasts of the field and, and man and woman. Like it's a master artist creating from chaos order, from disorder order. And so, John, the, the way that is a practical application to us is you're in your car, you don't let chaos in, you know what's going on. You know the enemy's up to something. And then you say, okay, what is the area God's given me in terms of my influence, my gifting, my passions, my dreams? And now I'm going to step into those with God, and I'm going to bring order from disorder, just like Genesis 1-2. I'm going to follow God as creator and my father, and if God is your creator and my creator, and if he's our father, what that means is we are sons. And if, you know, women listening to this, daughters, sons and daughters who get to co-create with their father. So we know God's identity 
through that, we know our identity. So now we step into the chaos like Genesis 1-2 and go, okay, in my world, here's how I get to bring order from disorder. Not through my strength, by myself, not through my brilliance, but with God, we can change the atmosphere for good. And so it's a very practical thing. Your days should be different. Your home should be different. Your work environment should be different. Your neighborhood, your church, all because of you choosing to live chaos-free in a world of chaos. And so it's, to me, it's like a game changer beyond uh, almost anything else after once we know how to become a son and daughter of God and live intimately, the number one thing that will take us out is chaos. And so if we can learn now how to navigate chaos with God, then man, we can have peace in a world of fear. We can love well in a world of fear. We can sleep easy at night in a world that's restless. And we can be unshaken in a world that's really shaken. And all of that comes from realizing chaos doesn't get the last word. The enemy doesn't get the last word. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah, God gets the last word. He gets the first word, the last word. And everything and in between. Every, yeah, exactly. If we will only remember that, you know, because the enemy, when he throws chaos spun up, and it's hard to remember those truths in the middle of a storm if we don't have that foundation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things that I was, was thinking of kind of coming into our interview today and, and while you were talking is how the, uh, the armor of God that's, that's talked about in Ephesians, how that can apply to that because the, the fiery darts that are thrown by, by the enemy that's referenced in, in that passage, that's chaos. So, not letting it in. We've got to hold up our shield of faith. We've got to have that, that righteousness around our heart and know that we are in that right standing. And that deflects some of the chaos away, you know, remembering, remembering our salvation, that the helmet of salvation that covers our mind. I think we've got to, that deflects some of it away. So as long as we tap into what, what we can get from our spiritual armor, that, that is a, that's a great way of, of deflecting that chaos. Well said. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we would be crazy not to put on that armor in the middle of a battle like the one we're in. I mean, I mean, 2020 has been a battle in spiritual ways, the, the spiritual forces uh, with humans that are raging with turmoil and unknown in, in pretty much every part of our society. You know, nothing is how it was in, in, in so many ways just a year ago. You know, here we are in right. November. Last November, we look back and go, man, what were we worried about a year ago? Right. Yeah. Everything yeah. kind of was functioning what felt to be pretty normally. And now hardly anything feels that way. But that's a great time, if we'll let it be, to use our eyes to see the unseen, to start to see what's really going on and then to armor up, like you say. Yeah, yeah, I, I can remember. Well, a year ago in November, right around this time, I think I was uh, I was fortunate enough to fortunate enough to be uh, selected uh, to 
through the raffle to go to the uh, wild art boot camp that was in February. So I was getting ready to book my travel and everything for, for that. But, uh, um, wow. so the final question, um, doing a bit of another gear shift here, but I, I like to ask each of my guests this final question. Let's say you're, you're in the position to speak into the life of a young man. They're, they're rather down on the world and they're kind of cynical towards life and maybe they've lost their way in the world and, and they've let their own chaos overwhelm them. What, what kind of advice would you say to a young man in that situation? What kind of encouragement would you give to him? Well, what I would say to him would be when you reach the end of yourself, you're in a really good place because when you reach the end of yourself, meaning you realize you trying to be the head of your life isn't working out very well and you've tried to bring yourself pleasure or you've tried to bring yourself power or you've tried to kind of run the universe how you think it should run and you get to the end of yourself meaning you go it's not working and and i'm weary and i'm bruised and i'm scarred and you know that's a good place to begin anew and so what I would say is welcome to the first new chapter of your life, you know, and, and it begins in a really simple way. It's not difficult. It's to me, it's Jesus saying, coming up to you and saying, follow me, like come with me and let's try life a different way. And it's not the religious Jesus that, you know, we have stereotype image of. It's not, I'm not saying uh, you need to read the whole Bible and you need to check all these things off your to-do list that feel really overwhelming. I'm saying just commit to going, God, I've messed up. I'm, I know there's got to be a better way. So will you father me? Will you, will you show me what life looks like and can look like? And with that first step, you start a whole new story. So it's easy to be cynical in this world. I get it because the world will take advantage of you and the world will use you. And in our flesh, we create some of our own problems too. Like we use people and we try to take advantage of people in our flesh. And so between the world and the flesh and the enemy, you've got this unholy Trinity kind of uh, working against your story, what it could be. And so when you get to that point, where you go, this, I, I don't want to do this anymore. You're really closer than you've ever been to the life I think God made for you. And that's when you start discovering your true identity and what's possible. And man, it's that, that, that freedom, you know, it, I used to think that religion was very uh, stifling and very restrictive and controlling and religion is by itself. But when I started to get to know God, um, I realized, man, this is very freeing. God is not about restrictions. God is about giving us beyond what we can imagine. Jeremiah 33.3, you know, talks about, come with me and I'll show you things beyond what you could imagine or fathom, things that haven't even been thought of yet. And so when we do that, 
that young man, I think, is on the verge of the greatest adventure of his life. And he doesn't have to have all the answers. And he doesn't need to know step 10 or step 12. He just needs to say, okay, I'm going to follow you. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And then I'm going to expect good things. And that's the first step that I think changes everything. Amen. Amen. Well, he is Mr. Alan Arnold, the author of Chaos Can't Overcome What Comes Against You in This Shaken World. He is the executive producer of content with Wild at Heart. And Alan, where are the, uh, the best places for people to find you out there? Best places? Um, I would say, like, if you want to enter into kind of the, the topic we've been talking about, they can find Chaos Cant uh, on Amazon as a paperback book or as an ebook. And the same thing with my first book, The Story of With, with which is really about dreaming bigger dreams with God, intimacy with God. What does that look like? Um, both of those are on Amazon. And also, um, I have a website called withallen.com, W-I-T-H-A-L-L-E-N.com. And on that, it's really geared to help people discover how to pursue what they love to do with God. So there's videos, there's podcasts, there's blogs. And uh, it's a great way if you're, if you're saying, okay, I hear what you're saying, but I have no idea how to pursue what I love to do actively with God. Well, I've created that website as an introductory kind of step for people to dive into that. Great, great. Yeah, and I'll have links to your website and links to your books in the show notes and uh, links to uh, to the Wild at Heart uh, Ministries page. Also, a lot of great material and resources on that. And with that, we will wrap this thing up in a nice little bow. Alan, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I, I can't express my thanks to you enough for for doing this. And and I, I really uh, I, I really just can't can't say thank you enough to you. I, and uh, we'll uh, we'll wrap like I said we'll wrap it up in a nice little bow. This is the M60 podcast. That was Mr. Alan Arnold, executive producer of content with Wild at Heart Ministries in Colorado Springs, Colorado. He is the author of Chaos Can't, Overcome What Comes Against You in This Shaken World. A very big thank you to him and a very big thank you to everyone at Wild at Heart Ministries who have done so much for the lives of men around this world and for me and my own faith walk. I'm John Waltz. This is the M60 Podcast, and I will see you next time.